Welcome to the Yoga Liberty Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled and excited to have Crystal Borup here today to talk to us about her story, how she became a yoga teacher, the struggles that she went through on her journey to teaching yoga, and how she is now thriving and created her own yoga festival in the Tetons, which I'm super excited to talk about at the end of the podcast. So you will want to stay for the whole podcast. Thank you for joining me today, Crystal. Mm, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad that you're here. So tell us, before you became a yoga teacher, before you were doing that, what did your life look like? <laughs> oh my gosh, where do I begin? Um, well, right before I became a yoga teacher, I was a general manager of a winery. So that nice. was <laughs> that path. And, and maybe we'll skip that story till later, because that's kind of the, the burnout piece I was sharing with you earlier. Um, and then before that, I was living in Las Vegas. I was a little bit in between there, but I moved to Las Vegas in my mid 20s. I ended up, I was just going to go for a year with a girlfriend, stayed there five years. And believe it or not, that was really where I found yoga. <laughs> um, I did dabble into yoga a little bit in college when I was like 19, but I didn't really click or take it serious. And when I had moved to Vegas, I started um, just going to yoga in a gym and oh. I was just, yeah. Yeah. So that was my first, my first introduction, but I gravitated to the teachers that offered that little extra you know, heartfelt message or spiritual. Which gym um, were you going you know. to? Um, oh my gosh, it's been so many years since I lived there. I first went to a gym. I lived out in Henderson. Golds or 24 so hour or LVAC? It was 24 hour back then. And then I eventually went to LVAC when I moved um, closer to Summerlin. I taught in so. 24 hour. That's why I wonder. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh my yeah. gosh. What if you were my teacher once? I, I know. Don't Wouldn't really that be remember. crazy? What, what year was it? Was it pre or post 2010? Um, it was pre. Okay. I moved here in 2010. So it was, I okay. was not your teacher. Right. Yeah. No, no, but you just dated me. Thanks. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, um, I just turned 48 and I'm no. really like, I feel really grateful to be my age, my, and be healthy and active and moving. My mom passed away when she was 61 from heart disease. And so oh, I will like never be, I will never be sad about being old. Like I, <laughs> it comes with an incredible amount of wisdom and it comes it with experience. And I just thought the other day, I was so happy because I thought, you know, I actually have something to share and I'm sharing it online with people. And this is my life's work. I've been practicing yoga for 40 years and I know wow. enough now to actually share <clears throat> things with people and feel really like I'm offering them something that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. So never be so well, I just live it's a gift, it's a gift. <laughs> I know it is a gift I am 43 so I'm right there with you and definitely felt a shift when I turned 40 I can feel huge that was it you that know was the turn yeah it was yeah yeah I mean there were definitely shifts before but turning 40 was like okay I had now a breakdown. you know I don't 
Yeah. You did? <laughs> I did. No, I went I... to Thailand. I went to the full moon party on Copanang. I hooked up with 18 year olds. It was crazy. It was a crazy <laughs> time. It was a crazy oh, time. But um, 40 was like, um, I ha- remember having this conversation with my sister, like completely high on mushrooms at 40 years old in the middle of the night, which was I think in the middle of the day to her, I'm in Thailand. And my sister was like, you're 40 years old. You need to stop doing drugs and dating young Grow men up. and get serious. For me, I'm like, good for you. <laughs> Life's too short. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, been a journey. I love it. Mm. <laughs> so a little bit different. 40 was the year that I took over a yoga studio. So which was so that wasn't that long ago. But um but yeah, so back to my, who I was before <laughs> I started teaching yoga, I, in a nutshell, let's just say I grew up Mormon. I, oh, okay. my, my parents were semi-religious, which really meant my dad wasn't, my mom was. So okay. I went with my mom and I just, if I'm being honest, I was the black sheep. I never felt good about myself at when I was a teenager, when I went to church, like I was never good enough for their standards or for their expectations. And so I really struggled my, you know, throughout my teens with that practice or that religion. And it was my, I mean, I definitely started to rebel probably when I turned about 18 and um, I got married at a really young age. So I got married at 22 Wow. And I know, but you know, that's just what happens when you, <laughs> when you're sheltered or you have insecurities or all these things. Are you things. still like, married to the same person? Oh gosh, no. We got divorced oh. a year later. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause I, my sister got married really young and it worked out. They're still married. Oh, like, no. I think it's crazy, but they are. <laughs> that was not my story. <laughs> no. So I got married and divorced really young. And, um, and then just kind of had to go down my journey. I mean, the funny story about leaving the church, which I'm surprised we're going here, but why not, was I moved to California. It was shortly after my divorce. I was a food and beverage uh, manager for a, at a conference center, and I was only like 23, 24. I think I was 24 years old. And <clears throat> I... I was trying to give the whole Mormon thing like one last go, you know? (laughs) And so I started going to church. Someone introduced me to this cute Mormon boy and I went on a date with, or a few dates with him. And then when he gave me a hard time for having a latte, which that's fine. That's fine. If you don't drink lattes, um, the caffeine, yeah, yeah. It was the caffeine thing. But when he gave me a hard time for it, that was like, that was the last, thing that I did it it was don't take my coffee (laughs) it what was yeah it was the breaking point and I left the church I never went back there was nothing in me that ever wanted to go back and I actually that same was not the pillar of (laughs) I'm sure that if there was he was drinking coffee back (laughs) I'm fine with everyone doing whatever works for them but for me I just didn't need that judgment I felt Mm -hmm. judged my whole life and I didn't need it anymore and so I remember I went to work and I 
email this really cute guy in accounting. I was like, do you want to go get a beer? And then I never looked back. <laughs> had you ever had beer before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I remember I got I'm married. In, I already got married and divorced and did that whole thing. Not Mormon. And like the Mormons don't drink. They don't drink beer. They don't know. Yeah. And I don't really yeah. like beer now. In fact, I rarely drink anymore, but I had to get that out of my system for sure. Which moving I to Las to Vegas be. helped. Right. <laughs> Yeah, everybody drinks here. Um, that's why I don't drink anymore. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, I'm actually in my mastermind, like that I'm in with these other women. One of the women is a Mormon, and I'm always like, I always like, I'm literally a sailor, and sometimes I talk like one, <laughs> and I have to be like really careful. I always don't want to offend her. I'm like, oh, don't say that, don't drop the F bomb again, Angelica. i know or like the first time i had a glass of wine in front of my parents i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) i know you're gonna talk yourself into it all right so so you're young you're doing mormonism you're practicing you you leave the mormon church and now you're practicing yoga and uh you're going to the gym doing some yoga down in 24-hour fitness Mm -hmm. and lbac and um, which a lot of people, a lot of people come into yoga <laughs> through the gyms. And honestly, I always tell people when they graduate, work at the gyms, get because you get tons of experience. You're mm-hmm. going to have really big classes. You're going to have a lot of different people in there. You're going to work with a lot of different bodies, a lot of different abilities. Right. The gym is just generic yoga. It's just like they, they won't put like a brand on there. You can't get them to put like restorative or vinyasa. Mm-hmm. Like they, I remember having conversations with 24 hour fitness with my boss and being like, can we just call it intermediate? And she's like, no, it can only be called yoga. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'd have somebody show up with a pillow to do like relaxing poses. And then somebody show up who was like 24 doing handstands, you know, and they're both <laughs> in the front row. And I'm like, what do I do with this? And so it really challenges you to learn how to be a better yoga teacher it does yeah yeah for for me I mean I never worked in a gym but I started doing private yoga right off the bat and that kind of helped me get used to different bodies and then I started with small groups and then next thing you know you know I'm teaching at a studio and the rest is history but (laughs) so where did you study so like well first of Mm -hmm. all let's go back in time a little bit so you're now you how did you get to work at the winery? Um, well, after five years in Vegas and going through the whole housing crisis in 2008. Mm. Um, and, you know. Did you I mean, own a house then? I did. And yeah. I, I was a bartender. <laughs> oh. um, I was bartending day shift, which was so you're, that's a little more normal, but bartending in the high, a high limit room. And, oh, nice. Yeah, it was fun. It was good money, you know, for your twenties. And, but when my income literally dropped in half during that time, it was like, okay, do you want to stay and stick this out and see, you never plan to stay here this long anyways, or do you want to figure out your next step? And so, um, and I knew like, okay, I could go anywhere. And I had a boyfriend at the time and he wanted to go to San Diego I didn't. So I let him go to San Diego and I went back to Washington, which is where I grew up. Um, And I moved in with my parents and Mm. thought, okay, I'm just going to 
spend maybe six months here and then decide, do I want to move into Portland or do I want to stay in the gorge? So I'm from the Columbia Gorge, beautiful area in white, uh, in Washington. And so I ended up, <laughs> well, I ended up meeting another boy that I started dating and I thought, well, I'll just get a job in the gorge then and we'll just see how it goes. And so I, um, I just worked at a restaurant for a little bit and then decided, you know, that whole in your thirties, what the hell am I doing? What should I do next? And so I just made a little list and I was like, well, I think wineries will be great. So I wrote down a couple of wineries. There's great and... wineries up there too. I traveled yeah. up there in my RV and there's really great wineries oh, up there. Yeah. It's amazing. That area has really just developed so much from a sporting town, you know, with all the windsurfing and kiting and, you know, it's the mountains very right there to ski. Very windy. It's very windy. <laughs> and now we have like amazing breweries and uh, wineries and wow. like every microclimate that you can think of is right there in 40 miles, which the is beer just... is better in Washington and the wine is better in Oregon. That is my personal <laughs> opinion. Oh. because Oregon's like right on the plane with Burgundy and that my palate really likes Burgundy wines because I'm je parle français, je travaille en France. I'm like a francophile and so oh. I, love, <laughs> I love French wine and Oregon's wine tastes a lot like French wine. Okay well there you go. Yeah <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> so me too. Well, I used to be. Um, so I just had this <laughs> moment where I was like, what do I want to do? So I had some referrals of, from someone who was in the wine business. Um, and she connected me with a couple wineries and I applied. And next thing you know, I'm managing a winery. Wow. Started, it that's was awesome. It was a newer, I mean, I had a lot of uh, restaurant management background and food and beverage for years, like my whole year, you know life up until then. And, um, it was not a brand new winery, but it was really small and they had just gotten a new tasting room and had plans to grow. So I really got in at like the perfect time to help grow this winery. And I had just enough experience in everything that they needed where I could take on all of it, <laughs> which is not smart. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> um, I mean it helped me develop all these skills. So instead of just management, I got to do marketing. I got to manage wine clubs. I got mm. to do, you know, production, everything. And, um, which is yeah. helpful as a yoga teacher to know how to do all that stuff. Well, you know, what's helpful about it. Most yoga teachers don't know how to run a business. Right. And I do. And I've, yeah. you know, been running other people's businesses and the winery was the biggest one for me. <clears throat> um, yeah, for so many years that now it just seems natural to me. I mean, I learned how to do graphic design because we didn't have the budget to hire out half the time. Yeah. And yeah. Same. I learned how That's to build a... websites. Same, same. Yeah. yeah. Trial by fire. You just got to do it because there's no budget for it. And so you come out of corporate that's like, multifaceted human being and you're like how can I make this my own yeah yeah it's worth right it. but also who is ends up getting so burnt out that you're like I don't want to do this for anyone ever mm -hmm. <laughs> so but yeah it was fun it was really fun while it lasted though I mean it definitely I definitely got burnt out but 
just to be a part of that experience to make this wine. And I mean, I didn't make it, but I got to be involved in that process and the tastings and, you know, the decision making. And it was, I don't know, it's a very connecting experience to take something from the earth and make it into something that everybody loves. At this point, had you gotten your yoga certification yet? Were you practicing yoga in Washington, Oregon area? Um, so when I first came back, I right away started going to this amazing studio that was an hour away, but my girlfriend um, was going there regularly. And so I started going with her and she was the first like, like studio experience, really deep spiritual teacher. Her name was Sundari, and she was just this light that was amazing, you know. So I got to have that experience for probably a year, and then I finally was like, okay, it's costing me a lot of money and time to drive an hour to this class every week. Uh, Maybe it wasn't even a year; it could have been like six months. And so I found a local yoga studio, and I started going there. Of course, drawn to the spiritual teachers, so I found someone who taught a lot of meditation and different classes and groups stuff and, you know, satsangs and things. And then, uh, and yoga, of course. And that just kind of became my home. Like that studio was my home for, I don't know, five or six years probably before Somebody, I started teaching. Someone asked me the other day what it is that I think people are lacking that they do yoga and I narrowed it down to, honestly, it's the spiritual experience because organized mm -hmm. religion that we grew up with does not resonate with many people anymore. You know, I grew up a Catholic, so it's the same kind of cult of Catholicism, you know, that Mormonism is a different cult of, yep. you know, Mormonism is a different thing. And it's so restrictive and so punishing and so much guilt. And people mm -hmm. don't want to feel that way. We want to feel free. And so, but we also want that connection to spirit, God, universe, divine of our own understanding and definition. And so I think my belief is that yoga fills that gap because yoga is so open about spirituality that you can be, yoga says you can be any definition of spirit, any definition of God. You can, you can choose to have any kind of Ishvara, which is God in Sanskrit. And then mm -hmm. you practice bhakti, <clears throat> devotion of your mm -hmm. own design. And if that's Krishna, great. If it's Jesus, great. You know, it, it's up to you, whatever. If it's something completely different, if it's the moon goddess, that's it's up to you what you want to define as spirit. And I love that about yoga. And I think, I think personally, that's ultimately what people are drawn to. It's not how long you can hold a pigeon pose. You know, the <laughs> asana just like beats you up until you get to a point where you're like, okay, I got to <laughs> meditate now and really go within right. because the answers yeah. are inside. So it's interesting to you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think not only do people not resonate fully with a religion, you can't find that depth always in a religion. Mm -hmm. And I think that the access point, and this is important, is like through the body. And it's not this understanding, it's like going within, connecting with your heart. And if we don't have something to help guide us to there, to that, like, how are we ever going to have that experience? And so mm. even if the physical practice 
maybe the teacher isn't aware of that, you know, because that, that happens in yoga. And maybe the teacher isn't aware of that. And so they're not guiding you to go within, but you can still discover that on your own. And I mean, I've had students just say, you know, like I had this one student once and she was probably in her sixties and she was like, I noticed the difference. And she was newer to yoga. I noticed the difference when I'm going regularly versus when I don't go or I skip a week. And she's like, Mm -hmm. it helps me feel balanced. It helps me feel more connected, more, you know, centered. And my life is a mess if I don't have my three days. She was going three days a week practice, but it's true. And and then there's the teachers that really bring the spiritual practice, right? Like that help guide you into a deeper experience. And that's kind of what I got gravity or I gravitated towards. And then that's kind of what led me into my path as well. So um, at what point do you decide to get certified to teach yoga? Um, Somewhere in the middle of my eight years at the winery. I, I don't know. I was just really, well, I had this really great teacher and this really wonderful group and we, we were just going deeper and I just wanted to learn more and I wanted to understand more and you know, I, I told myself I wasn't sure if I was going to teach, but I look back and I'm like, well, that was just your insecurities of not being good enough to teach. And, you know, which is a whole nother, whole nother podcast. Right. So many people say that though. So many people say mm-hmm. like, I, um, a, a common thing I hear is I'm afraid to get up in front of that many people. Um, I, um, I don't think I'm going to be a good enough teacher. And then there's a lot of body image things that come along with that too, where they're like, my body isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. And the, the, right. the thing is I've done, I've facilitated um, thousands of people have graduated from my trainings now all over the world and always 100% of the time, 110,000% of the time, if someone is in yoga teacher training, they already know more than the masses of people who will be coming to their yoga studios. And I mean, on day one, mm-hmm. I don't even mean like after they graduate or halfway through training. I mean, like day one, walking into the room, you already have more knowledge base than most of your students are going to have that come to your class because the, right. and I study with Doug Swenson. And I remember one of the things that he said to me in my 300 hour was he said, beginners are my bread and butter. I've made all my money with beginners. And that it's like, that's the reality is that we're really just sure. We have some students that stay with us for years. You know, I have people that still mm-hmm. like pop up. They're like, I went to your class 10 years ago at 24 hour fitness, or I, I studied <laughs> when your studio was in the garage, you know? And, but, but by and large, it's, the influx of beginners all of the time that really keep you going as a yoga teacher and keep it sustainable. But because like not everybody wants to be a yoga teacher or take yoga and make it the serious thing. Like it's just another part of their life. Like they read a book, you know, that doesn't mean that they're going to become a writer, you know, like they they just want to practice a little bit of yoga a couple of times and it's part of their life experience, you know? And that's the vast right. majority of students that people will be teaching. So definitely like those fears and inadequacies that people like feel like they have are just an illusion because that's not the reality. The day you walk into yoga teacher training, you already know more than most people. 
Yeah, I can agree with that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, so I have those same things, you know, <laughs> am I good enough? Am I, can I do this? Plus the teachers that I had at the studio that I was going to, they were, they'd been doing it for so long and I, I felt pressure from that mm -hmm. studio, you know, and I didn't like, I don't know. I mean, you know, the gorge, so we've got Hood River on one side and White Salmon on the other. And I was practicing in Hood River and that's like the side where that's more active and more physical. And, you know, mm. there's a lot more vinyasa or power classes or things like that. And then the other side of the river, it's like, we're retired and we just mm. like to be quiet on this side. And, you know, it's just completely <laughs> different energy on all levels. And I was practicing on the side that felt more intimidating and they had yoga teacher <laughs> trainings and they never fit with my schedule. And so really I chose my teacher training based on what I could do with my work schedule. Mm -hmm. So I did a training out of Portland um, at the studio called Yoga Boga, great little studio, great owners. Um, and Sarah Trelise was my teacher and I learned a lot from her for sure. Um, but you know, we, we also learn the things you wouldn't do in training or that you would do different or, mm -hmm. and she was really hyper-focused on anatomy and oh. I was the exact opposite. Yeah. I got no interest <laughs> in that whatsoever. Stop. Like people come on, they'll come on the <gasps> podcast and I'll tell them biomechanics, this and that, and we know that. And I'm like, I don't what? even really know what the word biomechanics means. Like, to be honest, like I had somebody on the other day that was like throwing out all these words. And I, like, I thought about Simon and I'm like, can you just explain what that means to me? Like, right. Well, when I'm I first all started... spiritual side. I'm all spiritual me, good. side. Me too. I yeah. Can tell. yeah. <laughs> I'm all like, the chakras so... are the anatomy of the body. Well, that's the thing at first for my trainings, my teacher trainings, when I was leading them, I hired someone to do the anatomy. And then the event, eventually I was like, no, we're going with, you can, you can teach the safe yoga practices and I'm right. teaching energetic anatomy. We're just going straight into the chakras and the nadis and, you know, meridians and things like that. So that's, that's what I mean, ultimately me. I really am in, I, are you familiar with Paul Grilly? Uh -huh. Okay, Very so nice I'm in the Paul Grilly anatomy camp, where it's like, your Me too. body Everybody's different. is yeah. different than everyone, you, each individual's right. body is totally different. And they're going to look totally different in every single pose. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if anybody's listening, and you have not taken Paul Grilly's anatomy course, it's oh only gosh. $49 on his website. It is the best anatomy course by far of any class that I've ever taken, it beats Leslie Kamenoff in my mind. It's like really like for me that I had so many like light bulb moments, like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like when he talks about hyperextension and how mm -hmm. hyperextension is an illusion, like that's just everyone's individual body. And if it feels good to be in a pose, do that. If it doesn't feel good, don't do that. Right. You know? Right. And it's not always that, oh, you're not as flexible as she is. It's like, oh, your hips are internally rotated and hers are externally and she can fold in half. You will never be able to structurally. Right. I used to grow up when I grew up when I, you know, I started doing yoga when I was 11. And when I grew up, I would be like, anybody can do yoga poses. They can do all the poses. They just have to practice. And then after I did Paul Grilly's course, 
many years later, I realized about bones and the concept of tension and compression and that tension is muscle tension and compression is bone touching bone. And if a bone is touching a bone, you can't go any further. So if you're trying to do the straddle splits and your bones are touching in not your pelvis go. and your legs, you're not going to ever be able to get there unless you remove your bone. Right. <laughs> and I yes, don't recommend I that. <laughs> yeah. One of his videos is a requirement or was a requirement in my teacher training. I'm not teaching trainings right now, but he's just, it's just so easy. Like when you learn it, it's like, oh, duh. Like that makes so right. much sense. Why yeah. are we so focused on alignment being perfect plus I mean I guess we know where that came from you know if we look at Ashtanga yoga and and even Iyengar and things like that you know the teachers who came here before wow. it's like right, I'm a I mean, big fan <laughs> oh I am too I am too I have my big I love, Iyengar I book Iyengar. but I think that alignment has a place like if you learn mm -hmm. alignment because there's a lot of sloppy alignment now right it, it doesn't need to go to like the other side of the spectrum yeah you don't yeah. do any kind of alignment but just because one person's foot in Virabhadrasana 2 is parallel to the back of the mat and another person is slightly turned inward it's still warrior two it doesn't matter right. where the foot is it matters the comfort of the person and how does that affect their knee and how do they feel it's not not the end of the world right. if your foot is inward or outward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. I totally agree. And and really with Ashtanga, I guess, like the teachers that I've seen have gotten so focused on alignment being perfect that they are missing yoga. They're missing the unity. I studied Ashtanga for many years. It was one of the first types oh. of yoga. I studied with Patabi Joy. And oh. it was not like that. Really? Yeah, they So how did that come like, about? They're like hyper hyper alignment focused. And alignment was a big part of it, but it was more like you wanted to memorize the alignment so that when you went into the poses, you already kind of knew where you were going and you didn't have just really sloppy alignment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are some like like coming into Chaturanga, for instance, it's really easy to because you're moving so fast in ashtanga to come but for your torso to come below your elbows and what happens mm -hmm. over time is repetitive stress injury on the elbow and so knowing the alignment uh i think like marrying yeah. iyengar and ashtanga together and for me has been really amazing because knowing that my chest should be in line with my upper arms instead of my chest dropping below my elbows yep. has saved me from having injury on my elbows from doing, you know, years and years of Ashtanga and Chaturangas and Vinyasas, you know? Right. But, but I think it's interesting. It's just so fascinating to me how yoga has shifted over the years. Like the, the first step, in the eight limbs of yoga is ahimsa and all major teachers translate that to vegetarianism. And so when I first became a yogi, when I was 11 years old, I read the Shivananda book and I was like, well, I gotta be a vegetarian. And I grew up on a farm and my family was like, what? I was like on a hog farm, you know? 
And I did, I became a vegetarian at 11 and I, I've had meat a few times in my life, but I don't really like it. Like it's like, it feels like really cannibalistic to me. And I'm just like, I'm just really turned off by it. But, um, I like started vegan like a few years ago while I still own the studio. Um, but cause the dairy was actually giving me a lot of inflammation, but now it's really common to see people be yoga teachers and not be vegetarians, which like when I started, that was uh, like, no one would do that. Cause that's step number one. And so like right. watching things change over the years, it's been really interesting and trying to not <clears throat> have judgment on that is another mm -hmm. thing, like, because everything evolves, like I have a degree in English literature, right? And there would be this big discussion about old English and new English. And my, well, I had this teacher one time in language arts and he said, English is a constantly evolving language. There is no standard how they spoke 200 years ago is different than how we speak today. It's constantly mm -hmm. evolving and changing. And I feel like maybe that's the same for yoga too. So how can I like really like make judgment calls on, you know, like what someone else's journey is? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> well, I became a vegetarian. Let's see when I lived in Vegas at some point. So probably 15 years ago back when we had <clears throat> no vegetarian restaurants here at all <laughs> <laughs> I know I had to give up those fish taco tacos and I was so <laughs> bummed I loved them I even remember my last meal was a barbecue chicken pizza like how weird is that <laughs> <laughs> anyways so yeah so I became a vegetarian eventually I became a vegan and I was only vegan for a couple of years and really it was to help me <laughs> get through certain food cravings that I had, like, like uh, cheese addictions or, you know, and, and now to this day, I don't have any dairy unless it's goat cheese because my system can't handle it. And, yeah, same. but it was an emotional thing back then. And, you know, when you're younger, you're more resilient. So physically it may not affect you as much, but, but yeah, so I became vegan for a while and I, in my burnout phase, I needed a little more substance. So I started eating fish again. Um, and so for me, intuitively, I just check in, does it still feel right? You know, do I still need this? Or, you know, or can I give it up? And it has never once felt right for me to eat any other meat, fish, I yeah. still eat, but everything else is a hard no for me. Yeah. And yeah. as far as what you're saying in the evolution, I think... Oh man, I don't want to be, I, I mean, it's hard, right? You don't want to be judgy. Like, I feel like if you want to make the path of enlightenment and you really want to get the benefits of yoga, you got to follow all the rules. But I at the same time, we need I don't want to be like, don't, don't come, don't come to yoga if you're not going to do this because yeah, yeah. it would scare no. people away, you know? <laughs> no, we want everyone to still come to yoga because they need it. But um, I do know people who like myself, maybe were vegetarian and then felt like their body needed something that was, you know, animal products were providing for them. <clears throat> like I had a friend who was really skinny. She actually um, felt very malnourished as a child. She had cancer as a child, you know, whatever. Wow. And she lived in India for several years, became vegetarian. And eventually they were like, you need, you need meat. Like you need to just bless the meat and eat it. And so she just has a different relationship to meat than a lot of people. Um, but I will say the way that I think of food is 
everything is energy, right? So we learn that the deeper we go into yoga. So everything is energy. And if we want to create or be the light, then we need things that are of the light. Mm-hmm. And if we're eating organic, healthy produce, especially if we can grow it ourselves or if we can get it from local farms, which I know is a privilege for many of us, not everyone can mm-hmm. do that, but that is going to help give us that, that light energy that we need. Yeah. And everything, you know, our bodies are made up of everything that we eat. So I guess that's the way I, my relationship with food has shifted over the years, but it started about 15 years ago. And I try to think of it that way. The Dharma Mitra, when you take his class, he'll say, don't make a graveyard out of your body. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I always that think also like... comes down to stress. <laughs> you know, like if we're putting good food, like I was putting good food in my body, but then I still got burnt out. <laughs> so there's... Yeah, it's, inter- it's interesting though. I think like if we, if the, if the world were vegetarian or vegan, that like, I wonder how, because when we eat the fear of pain, it's having grown up on a farm, like no animals want to die. They don't want to die for you. They don't want no. to. There's been studies done that when plants, when you eat them, they are actually emitting um, indicators to say they don't you know, that they're trying to live. Onions in particular are still alive um, with their roots. And then they make you cry because they're sending <laughs> out this energy of, of wanting to live. It's like a real thing. But if you pray, they've done some studies and tests. If you pray over your plant food and you mm. say energetically, thank you for nourishing me, becoming a part of my body, and becoming a part of this planet and the cycle of life. I appreciate mm-hmm. you and that the, that the plants will actually release, stop releasing those stress fears or whatever. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe it, but animals never do yeah. that. Animals. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to that. Cause I, I love that. I love that image. I, <clears throat> when I took my 500 hours, I kept, or I learned an Ayurvedic mealtime prayer and it oh, has cool. stayed with me since. And I, I chant silently for every single meal. Um, I got my parents chanting, Mormons, right? I got my parents chanting. Oh. And then every once in a while, when we would go over to their house for dinner, I mean, they don't do it regularly, but they would request it if they had company because they thought it was so cool. <laughs> Anyways, but but yeah, I mean... That's always been, that's been, what are you, what is your chance? Years. Tell me the chance. Tell, you can't just be like, well, I chant and then not tell us the chance. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Do I want to say it or do I want to chant it? It's um, Anam Brahman, Raso Vishnu, Pakto Devo, Maheshvarahar, Ivam Yankva Tuyo Bhute, Anadosho Nalipyate. And that's repeated three times the last line. Wow. And and, you know, it just talks about like the meaning of the creative energy in the food is Brahman and the nourishing energy of the food is Vishnu. And I can't remember all the things, but if you know this, then any impurities in the food will be forgotten. And it's just, it's really sweet. So that, and then my other practice is I bring my hands, like put my hands around my food, like my plate, and then just send energy to it. 
So it's just taking a conscious moment. So like Reiki food. energy, Reiki energy. Exactly. Food. Yeah. And just taking a moment to feel the energy of the food, send the energy to the food before it becomes a part of you. So <clears throat> are you teaching yoga while you're working at the winery? Yeah. Okay. So we're back there. <laughs> <laughs> job <laughs> we ran on a like real tangent there for a while <laughs> so yes um so I took my training in Portland and it took me I don't know like six months to before I started at a yoga studio I went with the um the Washington side of the river so the the easier more laid-back side and I'm so grateful that the studio owner she's 30 years older than me the in the studio was all for service. She didn't need the money. It was all because the practice of yoga had changed her life and she wanted to give that to others. So wow. her only goal was to break even. And I mean, we had, we had monks there that came every week and gave Dharma talks. And we, it was just this beautiful, sweet studio. It took a little while to grow because that town, the, you know, that town is smaller than the other one. But um, so I started teaching there. It was, just the perfect environment for me to be comfortable with a teacher, you know, or with teaching. Like I knew I needed to grow as a teacher. I didn't need a studio telling me that, so, but mm -hmm. I needed the studio to give me a chance and the patience to let me develop on my own. And that's what she did. And she was amazing. So yes, I taught yoga um, <clears throat> while managing the winery. My main class was my Sunday yoga class, which Knowing me, drawn to like the spiritual aspects of yoga it was the perfect time slot for me. And, you know, after getting it going for a few years, I had like 30 to 40 people every Sunday morning in my class. And it was, it was magical. It was really sweet. How um, long did and then it I take you to feel confident teaching? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, confidence changes every day, right? it's like um you never for me it was I never knew what was going to happen until it was happening <laughs> so it took me a while in the beginning to feel comfortable with it but I could show up to a class and maybe kind of get grounded and tap in and be okay or it could be the opposite and I would have insecurities the whole time so I think it it kept getting easier and easier like in the beginning I was pretty you know nervous the whole, for a long time. I don't remember how long, but, and then I just think I would have moments of confidence that that started to increase. And so probably, I don't know, I'm almost 10 years into my teaching career. So I would say at least three or four years before yeah, I was yeah. really feeling grounded in my teaching. And even then you still have your moments, like you feel off or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, same. I think it wasn't until right before I started my studio. Like, honestly, like mm -hmm. the first yoga teacher training I did in 2012 was when I really was like, you know what? I actually, I know some of this stuff. <laughs> you know? And I was teaching so much and so regularly that I would, I had an email list. And mm -hmm. I would 
to create a class sequence every week and then I would email everybody out like the theme for this week is blah 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 and here's the set list for this week because I was teaching a 24-hour and I'm driving all over the city and teaching all these different 24-hour fitnesses so I'd be like okay I'm gonna be at you know wigwam on Monday and Tropicana on Tuesday and Thursday at 7 30 p.m and um out in Summerlin on Saturday morning at 9 a.m and this is my playlist and it just taught mm-hmm. me to get really organized about it. And years and years of creating sequences and doing it over and over again made me better at it. And it's one of those things where you just yeah. like, you literally just have to keep doing it. It's kind of like social media, the journey on social media. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, I'm like yeah. a pretty solid following on social media now. And it's taken me like two years. You know, I make my full-time living off of what I make off of attracting clients on social media and it's taken me two years to really like feel like I am producing content that's really good but it's the same thing I had to make a bunch of really bad content or like inferior (laughs) or ineffective or whatever to learn how to really like just jump in there and look silly and learn how to you know the (laughs) only difference is that it's all it's all on video and you can watch the progression of my my we want I had a client that was really the other day she was real nervous and she's like I'm I'm afraid to go on screen and people I'm gonna look terrible and I was like I'm gonna take you on a journey five years back to my first YouTube video ever and we're gonna watch it together and she just started laughing as soon as I put (laughs) it on I was like I it's a journey right like it was a terrible video she's like that is really bad and I was like I know (laughs) I feel the same way made that video I wouldn't be where I am today making incredible content, helping a ton of people. We wouldn't be on this podcast. Right. (laughs) You just keep getting more and more comfortable with it. And then it just expands from there. That's how I feel with same thing from teaching, from social media, from being on videos, from teaching on zoom. Like the first time I had to teach on zoom, I was so nervous and, but whatever you just get through it. Nobody cares and we move on to the next thing you know so what was the real breaking point for you what was the real breaking point for you that you were like I gotta go out and just teach yoga full-time oh my gosh well there was always something in me that wanted to help people to be of service and you know we all get to come into this world with different experiences and different gifts and the quicker that we learn how to tap into that, I think the better, but there was this calling in me to be of service. And it was, mm, I was 38 and I was getting ready to, I was developing a teacher training, right? And I knew that that was the next step for me to start to make more money in the yoga world. And I kind of played around with, you know, sometimes I would teach two classes a week, sometimes five classes a week, you know, but I was managing winery, so I could only do so much. And so I started to develop a teacher training program and the studio owner, you know, as sweet and gentle and kind as she was, she was like, you can teach your trainings here at no cost. Like you don't have to pay. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, that's the first thing. So she, just cause she knew she wanted to support me. Like that was her mission. She didn't need the money. She just wanted me to be successful and she believed in me. And I had been teaching there for several years. And 
the other side note, we got to be really close because her graphic designer had passed away. So I took over that position. So I was doing her schedules and, you know, updating, you know, like doing flyers and things like that. So just minimal, but I was kind of getting behind the scenes with her, which was a natural thing because that's what I did for the winery. And so anyways, so she really was supportive of me. She knew I wanted to make yoga um, my full-time job. She saw probably herself in, in me. Right. And so, so I started to go down that path and then I saw it coming, but I didn't know for sure. Right. Until she finally asked me if I would take over the studio. So, so she was turning 70 the year I turned 40. So we both decided that that would be the perfect year to transition like big milestones energetically even in our life. And so I spent, you know, like that, that first year, just kind of developing, developing my teacher training. And then the second year we got the studio ready for me to take over because it was not making money. Like Mm -hmm. I said, it was just barely breaking even it was to be of service. And so we spent a year, um, getting it ready. So I implemented software, which when the studio owner is 70 years old, you know, that the following is going to be big part of that following is going to be around her age as well. So I had to implement software with all of these older yogis. (laughs) And um, so that was fun. They didn't like change, but they, they did it. And then just um, have us on an index card and you can punch it with a hole puncher. (laughs) <laughs> that's what we did for the longest time but we the studio <laughs> was no longer able to sustain that like we were just growing too much you know and so and with me taking over like okay like the reality is I need to make some money here while right. keeping the integrity of the studio right you so can't keep doing it if you don't make money no you have to no like, not you have to make something or you can't keep doing it something so, and then we did a little bit of a remodel so that there was an office, like a front desk, because that was important to be able to check oh, students okay. in instead of this tiny little podium in the corner of the studio. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a huge studio. Like we had Janet Stone came out and taught a couple times. Oh, and cool. We could, we could fit 70 people in that studio. She's so it was awesome. really big. Yeah, yeah I love her. Great. Yeah. So, um, so that year... Yeah. So we basically spent all this time getting ready for this takeover. So I was, you know, launching the trainings, getting, gearing up events. We were bringing concerts in, Janet Stone in, like all these bigger things. And then, and so it just felt like really good energy. And then January 1st, I led, um, I co-led a new year's class. So I taught the yoga and someone else did a sound bath, like a gong bath. And I had over 50 people in the studio and I was like, this is a good omen. Like, okay, we're, we're, this is happening. This is day one of me owning the studio. But sadly it was January 1st, 2020. Oh no. Mic drop. Oh, I was like, I know. (laughs) So I closed the studio. And in Washington, mind you, where Washington was, they were oh, falling even orders. worse in Washington. So I closed the oh. studio towards the end of March. I took our entire older following and everybody else, but virtual. 
So everyone learned how to go, you know, how to be on Zoom. I held everyone's hands, like walked them through it. We all went virtual. And then the studio, we got to go back into the studio, but we stayed virtual too. And, it, and then they, you know, Washington closed us down again. And then we reopened, like it was just back and forth. It's really, it was really hard <sighs> on business. I'm so glad that I had sold by then because I, I, I couldn't have managed that. It would have been a nightmare. And you have this just, you know, when people would come into my studio, I don't have any, it, it's really interesting because we talk about this a lot, like the juxtaposition of, of being on social media and having to make an opinion and being mm -hmm. a studio owner and having no opinion. So when people come into my studio and they say, they would come in, they say, I'm for Bernie Sanders. I'd be like, okay, yeah, me too. And then they come in and they'd be like, I'm for Hillary. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, me too. And then they come in, they'd be like, I'm for Trump. And I'm like, okay, me too. You know, like come to your class, you know, like, like I don't, I like just did not have any opinion on any of that stuff. And I, you were forced to have an opinion on masks, oh no masks. A vaccine, vaccine no vaccine, no vaccine you know and mm -hmm. like and I just did not want to be a part of that I mean I definitely You're have so my lucky. own opinions about it but I didn't like that would be so difficult to navigate that as a business owner it would be you're put in such a hard position because there's merit to all the arguments but right. you're not, it's right. like it's so hard to like you can't pick a side because you want everybody to come to your class Luckily, I had, I, I put a lot of thought into this. If I'd still owned it, I had two sides to the studio, two rooms. <laughs> and I just was like, split them up. <laughs> I would just split them up and be like, this is the masked side and this is the unmasked side. Just go to whatever side you want to be on. And I would just type in the sound to the other side, you know? <laughs> That's a great um, idea. But it's not what yeah. happened. I was just on it's my sailboat. I was just sailing around <laughs> blissfully in Texas on the Gulf of Mexico, not even thinking about any of that at all. And it was wonderful. Such a privilege. So, good for oh, you. It really was. I worked really hard to get there. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, I was out there with a boat that was very older than I am. And, um, <laughs> And it showed, but, um, anyhow, um, so, okay. Wow. That was really stressful. So you're doing this, this virtual and, but you don't live in, in, you don't live there anymore. I, I don't know. And just to like quickly touch on one more thing, right before I took over the studio, I took, well, I had to quit my job because of the burnout. So that's kind of a big piece. So I wasn't recovered from the burnout when we entered the pandemic. I, I had less going on because I didn't have the winery and I was just focusing on the studio, but I was still struggling with my adrenals, uh, you know, my cortisol mm -hmm. levels, you know, whatever else was going on that I wasn't even aware of, but, but with the winery. So, okay. So I have to share with you something. Here's what put me over the edge in burnout. So I'll try to be, I'll try to be quick on this. So <laughs> I had the winery where I managed way too many hats and eventually kind of realized I was maybe I took on too much, but also got taken advantage of because I was willing to do it. And then when we grew so much and I couldn't handle them anymore, I didn't get the support I needed right away. And so that was really tough because I was doing so many things. And eventually I did, I did hire my replacement. 
but I wasn't quite ready to leave yet. And, you know, they didn't know that she was my replacement, but I wasn't quite ready to leave. I was waiting for the studio takeover. So between working my butt off at the winery, teaching, and then preparing for the studio takeover, I had recently gotten married. So I was, I got married at 37. I inherited an instant family of two teenage girls and oh wow so much change and then (laughs) and we built and we built a house so there was like all this stuff that like and I'm in Idaho you built a house get a lot done nope Washington whoa so all of that all of that in like a couple year period right so so between the winery the studio family house building that was within just a couple of years and then I knew because I was taking over the studio, I needed to get my 500 hours. I hadn't, didn't have it yet. And oh, yeah. so I know that pressure. <laughs> I, and I wanted to go somewhere sunny, but I, so I chose Sedona for whatever reason I chose Sedona and there was a studio in Sedona and they offered a Kundalini yoga training. Oh, and, great. Well, so here's, <laughs> the, like, here's well. the thing, Mike. I didn't realize what Kundalini yoga was. I was feeling my chakras. I was having Kundalini experiences, but the Kundalini yoga that I had taken with my, that first spiritual teacher that I had was not Yogi Bhajan Kundalini yoga. I don't know like what, what it was. Maybe (laughs) she was just doing chakra based yoga, but she called it Kundalini yoga anyway. So in my mind, I was just drawn to Kundalini energy without realizing what real kundalini yoga was so I took this kundalini yoga training and it was kind of spread out in a couple different immersions and my last immersion was three weeks long and it fried my system it like my system couldn't handle it I came home I didn't know this at first I came home I was trying to keep up the practice with everything else in my life and I I just couldn't integrate back into my life. And there was this one day, like maybe a couple months after coming home where it felt like I hit this major wall, like, and I knew like my life would never be the same. And it like, my system was fried. I couldn't handle that intense energy of Kundalini. And, and, you know, I have, I have my own opinions now of Kundalini yoga and so many things I could share um, from my own experiences. And I'm not saying as a practice we shouldn't do, but we should be mindful because we are a very busy society that in the sixties, when Yogi Bhajan came here, we were, it was night and day different from how our culture is now. So we really need to take care of our system. And sometimes what we need is not that extra energy. And it's, like restorative like if we could all do restorative as a whole yeah so not and not yin but restorative because people (sighs) mix the two up a lot and and yin is actually Mm -hmm. meant to be kind of a difficult practice restorative is more restorative it's meant to heal us from injury and that's not just body bodily injury but mind injury Yeah. yeah yeah so and if you take a true restorative class, there's a lot of classes out there that say they're restorative and they're not. But right. so, so that was my experience of burnout and it was a long, hard climb. Like I could barely function. I could barely get through my day at work. 
through my emails. You know, I was this lively, like front of the house, you know, customer service, whatever person my whole life. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. It's like, I was, I was shutting down. It's so hard to explain if you've never had adrenal fatigue. Like my friend went through it first before me. And I was like, well, what do you mean you can't do it? Like, of course you can, but you can't. Like you cannot get through the things that you normally could get through. How did you so, heal from adrenal fatigue? Um, well, you know, adaptogens are really good, like ashwagandha and holy basil and things like that. Um, and then lifestyle changes, time, rest, you know, and then for women, it's like, it's not just adrenals, like how are your hormones? How are your cortisol levels? Are you sleeping? You know, I wasn't sleeping very well at all. How do you find out what your cortisol levels are? Um, I just saw a naturopath and she did, you know, test for me. Okay. Yeah. What's it? So I when people say, I'm just asking these questions because I honestly <laughs> do not know. And I know if I don't know, then other people probably don't know either. What is a naturopath and how do you find one? <laughs> a naturopath is um, a natural, I mean, I'm not going to say it completely accurate, but it's just a natural doctor. So it's okay. still a doctor, but that practices in a different mindset. So they're not focused on the Western mindset, which is let me give you a pill or give you a surgery to fix you. It's let's get to the root of the problem. Let's check your, you know, your vitamin levels, um, your adrenals, your, you know, there's a million different tests you can do your digestion, like what's going on there. And it's, it's nutrition related. It's supplement related. It's, you know, that's how so they you help just you type into Google naturopath Las Vegas and someone should come up someone will come up. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm on my, my second naturopath and I switched to one that was also a Chinese doctor. So oh. he does Chinese herbs. And that's when I, I felt like I had only, I couldn't go any further with my first naturopath. And then I switched to him and he was super reputable and I knew all about him, just more expensive. So, but I finally switched to him and the herbs and the supplements and, you know, his intuition and him just really open and honoring my intuition, which I, mm-hmm. it's really important in that relationship with the doctor or naturopath um, has really helped me for sure. Well, it's really fascinating. <sighs> um, thank you for, thank you for defining that for us. Um, so mm-hmm. at what point do you decide to leave Seattle? Cause you're not there anymore. Or the Washington. Washington. Um, well, you know, pandemic was like, gave us this stillness and this opportunity. My husband started working from home to just really reevaluate our life like everybody else. Um, I had a friend say once, she's like, I feel like everyone's life, like all the balls in our lives just got thrown up into the air and we're just mm. waiting to have them land, right? Waiting to see where we all end up because so everything was shifting. So and accurate. so for, yeah, for us, we just checked in and we were like, you know, it would be nice to have a new adventure. I don't see Washington coming out of this anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I could see that it was going to be a couple of years. And I didn't know that I had it in me to work mm-hmm. for free for that mm-hmm. long because I'd already mm-hmm. worked my butt off and we were barely breaking even with going virtual. 
because not everybody wants to do that. Yeah. So, and I, don't, I didn't want to live that way. I was so grateful to be in Texas because I did not want to live restricted. When we lived in Texas on our boat, everything was normal. It was just totally mm -hmm. normal. Everything was open. People were walking around normally. You wouldn't even, we got to Texas to buy our boat <laughs> and we walked it because, you know, we're from Nevada. Nevada was hardcore into it. They were hardcore into it. It was really stressful. I got kicked out of a lot of different places. I got yelled at. It was really, very stressful. We mm -hmm. left Nevada. We went to Texas. And I remember we were at this RV park and across from it was a bar. And I was like, let's go over there and have dinner. They have a happy hour. I'm a big fan of happy hour. I'm from Las Vegas. So we, go to, <laughs> we go to this happy hour and we walk in and it's so crowded. There's like 250 people in there and they're all like touching each other and not one mask in sight. And everybody was happy and laughing and having a right. great time. And I was like, this is where we're going to live. <laughs> And well, that that's was like how we... my whole experience for all that was just being in Texas and it was fantastic, you know, Good for you. it was wonderful. You. I was so happy. It was like, it wasn't even like I was going through that. So I, I couldn't, like, I decided really early on that my, I didn't care about anything that, except for my emotional health, because I have had times of, of suicidal thoughts and almost mm -hmm. doing it and being like saved by divine intervention, like literally just having something very random happen that stopped me from doing it. Uh, someone asked for my help. She was being abused and she called me at work because we didn't have cell phones then. And she could, not everybody <laughs> did anyway. They existed, but most people didn't have them. Mm -hmm. She called me in my job. She said, hey, I, you go to the yoga studio I go to and I have no place to go tonight because my husband is beating me up and I stay with you. Are you oh, doing anything gosh. tonight? And I was literally like thinking in my head, like, yeah, I was about to commit suicide tonight. You know? Oh my God. And that's what stopped me. And so that's I knew that it, I could not be in a dark place. I work very hard to surround myself by light. I don't listen to any music that doesn't give me light. I don't watch any shows that don't give me light. I actually just finished Yellowstone. Mercifully, I'm done with that because it's just so much bad energy on that show. I can't, my husband was I only like, watched two episodes. <laughs> like you're in a bad enough. mood all the time. I'm like, I gotta get through this show. I'm addicted, but it's awful. You know, like, I just don't, like, I don't want any darkness in my life at all because I, it's really easy for me to slip into a dark place. And, and during that time, I felt really sad for the world. And I felt like we weren't moving in a good direction of love and, and caring and understanding of each other. There was so much infighting that I just needed to be away from that because I knew that my, my, for me, I, my emotional and my mental health could not have survived that. So I had to go somewhere where I could survive. And that turns out it's Texas, y'all. But <laughs> Good for you. That's an amazing story, honestly. And you're so lucky. I mean, I had friends, one friend in particular, that she always suffered from depression. And then pandemic happened. And that isolation, she couldn't handle it. It got so bad that she checked herself in the mental hospital because she thought she was dying. Like she just could not handle it. It was yeah. really scary. And now yeah. she's getting a divorce and like, yeah, you know, everything has shifted for her. And, and my, she's my grandpa, better, but it's hard. 
my grandpa committed suicide during that oh. by shotgun in my uncle's basement because of the isolation. He was in Michigan. And so for me, like, I'm you know, sorry. like I said, like with wow. my clients, I have a really broad opinion. I agree with whatever you mm -hmm. agree with, you know, but in my personal life that I've seen the tragedy firsthand of what happens when we isolate people like that. And, you know, my grandpa yeah. wasn't a really incredible man. He was a wonderful person. He had his flaws like everyone else, had so many good memories of him. But the problem with suicide is that when you make that choice, that's the main thing people will always remember about you. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's like kind of tainted all our memories of him. So yeah, like for me, you know, so many people, my uncle committed suicide, my aunt committed suicide, my grandpa, we've had a lot of suicide in our family. So I just knew like, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm not going to make it in Nevada. <laughs> well, you definitely wouldn't have survived Washington then. <laughs> no way. No way. Mm -hmm. I would not have. I not have. Mm -hmm. We spent a little time in South Dakota too, in our camper. And that was great too, because South Dakota was a free state during that time as well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, like an ongoing joke that the pandemic only existed in certain states like Washington, yeah. Oregon, California, New York, right. and apparently Nevada. But I don't think Nevada stayed as bad as long. They were closed for five months in Nevada. Five yeah. months they had the casinos closed. Yeah, Washington That's was like two years off and on. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, and what's really interesting is I'll still talk to people and I'll be like, you know, I was in Texas and it was normal and fine. And they'll say to me, everybody in Texas is dying. And I was like, no, they weren't. I was no, there. Not. Yeah, they weren't. Yeah. Like I was there. I'm telling you, I was there. We, our boat was between there and Florida and nobody yeah. was dying. Nobody was sick. There wasn't a bunch of people in the hospitals. I barely knew anybody that got it. You know, like, I know. Just, it, I'm like, you don't know. You weren't there, bro. I'm telling you right now. There normal. are so many <laughs> things that we could talk about on this. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that we should necessarily, but yeah, I totally, I totally get it. We yeah. went and traveled. Um, we went traveling February. Oh, let me think. Was that 2020? Yeah. February, 2020. So no, 21. <laughs> and and <laughs> gosh. Um, so February, 2021 and same thing. We went to like Arizona. Well, we went to California and everything was shut down and we couldn't get into the yeah. campgrounds. We bought, we bought a van and built it out and oh, cool. And yeah. I mean, well, to rewind from that, I decided to sell the studio. <laughs> Let's go there and then we'll go back to the travel. Yeah. We've so been all over the place. So we decided that, you know, we want another adventure my youngest stepdaughter decided to move to North Carolina to live with her mom. Her mom had just moved there right before the pandemic to be closer to her family. So she goes to North Carolina. My oldest stepdaughter was our, at college and she had the choice of to take online classes and stay home or be in the dorms. She chose to be in the dorms. So, um, so she was at school and it was like our first time having an empty house. So we decided to, sell the studio with which selling in our world is like gifting it <laughs> gifting this <laughs> responsibility to the next person because that's that's what happened to me you know I didn't buy it I was gifted it for yeah. like a dollar I think I bought it for <laughs> yeah yeah and 
So the first person. Well, that it wasn't I told... profitable, so it doesn't make sense. Like they, when I had no. my, when I sold my business, I had it valued, and the, it would the have been if the, the, the guy that valued happen. it. He said, he said that you you price your your business at one point five the annual gross income. So whatever your gross income is, 1.5, that's what you, and that's what I paid, and that's what I was paid for my business. So yeah, well, yeah. it was heading in that direction for sure. It wasn't losing money before I took it over, but it was heading in the the bigger direction. But things, things were great happened. at that time. Things were great. <laughs> we were making a lot of money. It was a good time, right? <laughs> so the the first person that I told that I was that we were thinking about moving was my neighbor also Janet Stone's sister. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, there's that connection. And we were like, we were like walking friends at the time. Like we would, cause we were neighbors. So we would go on walks together all the time. Oh, and so fun. I just happened to share it with her. And she was like, that's so weird. I just had this thought that maybe I should have my own studio one day. And she was a chiropractor by trade. Um, but when they, when she moved to the gorge, her husband stayed like owned a stayed as a chiropractor and she decided to stay as a mom, like, and take care of her kids and, and whatever, and just kind of be with them during that move and transition. So anyways, so she was the first person I told, and she's like one of the kindest people that I know, like the biggest heart. And she was the perfect person to take over the studio. And she's Universe. really, I know it was just so aligned. And then, so here's my lesson of it all. I was the perfect placeholder for that studio mm -hmm. if it wasn't for me with my relationship with the first owner it would have and if I didn't take it over it would have closed there's no way it would have survived the pandemic with with her being 70 years old and having to take everybody virtual and all those things she never would have been able to do that and so if it wasn't for me that studio would have closed and and it was such like it was a studio that was so heartfelt and like I don't know it, it's hard to explain but the energy in that space was so amazing and so after I took everybody virtual and back and forth and blah 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 like people were just so grateful I think that all those the older generation that was afraid of change they were just all of a sudden so grateful for me to be there to help them oh. so that they could continue their practice you know you fulfilled so anyways, your dharma I did. And I needed to be that person to help the previous owner let go of her attachments to the studio. She trusted me. We, you know, like mm -hmm. it was hard for her to let go. And then when I told her, you know, about, you know, Pamela coming in, she was like, wow, if you would have come to me with anyone else, I probably would have said, no, I'll take it over again. But she was like the perfect warm heart that needed to be there next for the studio oh, so it, it worked out really so well divine. like that's so magic I love that I so we really... sold our house oh yeah go ahead you want to go ahead I was no, so we sold our house bought a van traveled off and on for two years and then landed in the Tetons in Idaho well <laughs> that is a perfect segue because I want to talk about what you're doing now and how you're okay. thriving because you went through like a lot of transition and now you're doing some mm -hmm. really cool stuff. So tell us about what you're doing now. So now I focus mostly on leading retreats and I have in my online offering. So I've developed kind of programs online to suit all 
budgets and levels and depending Mm -hmm. on how deep people want to go. So starting with a small program where you just have access to recordings. And then um, I have this beautiful online community and we do like healing meditations and soul journey work. And, and then they have access to a little bit of yoga. So we focus more on the spiritual and the energetic stuff and Mm -hmm. less of the physical practice. Um, And then I have like, if you really want to go deeper, like a six month program where you can work with me one-on-one and then includes the community and a bunch of group stuff. So, so really my calling that I'm learning, I've been aligning with is really getting clear and understanding what my gift has been as a yoga teacher, which is helping students go deeper into their own experience and connecting with their heart and their soul and helping them align with that. And I was bringing that into my asana classes, my physical classes, when I started to realize, because I'm not the same as most teachers, I'm not... I'm not a typical yoga teacher and the energy of a class. I'm also a Reiki master. So mm-hmm. I've been into energy healing and energy work for many, many years. But so I knew how to set that space energetically. I knew how to connect with the energy of the studio, with my guides, you know, the energies that were present, all of that. So, so I think that the combination of that energy and then my guidance really led people to really deeper practice. So that's what I focus more on now. I do teach a little locally, but um, mostly my online stuff. Yeah. And you have a festival coming up, the Teton Yoga Festival. Yes, we do. So if you've been to a yoga festival before, it will most likely likely be very different. Um, Our plan is to create a more intimate experience, like a retreat, but on a larger scale, like a festival would be. So, you know, for us, I think maybe our max participants would be 350, which is a big retreat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a big retreat and a small, small festival. Yeah. 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 Really intimate. It's going to be at this beautiful ranch that's kind of nestled in the forest. Not Yellowstone. Um, (laughs) No. But it's a joke. Well, it's a joke. let's it's get a joke. clear. The, the, every time that I talk to someone, I swear I was sitting next to somebody in the airplane the other day and he was found out where I was from because I live like an hour away from Yellowstone. And all he wanted to talk about was the Yellowstone show and he wanted to catch me up on it. And I'm like, I've only seen two episodes. You're and like, I don't watch like, that. It's not the I know. I'm like, about our land. <laughs> it's not the same. Not the same. No, I don't know Kevin Costner. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that show? I have watched the whole thing because my sister wanted to talk to me about it. And it's not <laughs> reality in any way, like in any way at all. Like that's not like farm people, ranch <laughs> people are very peaceful, calm, kind hearted. They're not murdering somebody every day. That's not actually every like rancher, a part of living on a right. ranch. <laughs> no. Every rancher and farmer I've met out here has been amazing. So yeah, no, really that's not a, not a real thing. Um, so you're, so yeah. you're going to be at, you're going to be at a beautiful ranch. Beautiful the, the Tetons ranch. is an incredible, beautiful area of the country. Yep. The ranch sits in between the Teton National Forest, the Targi National Forest, mm-hmm. and the Big Hole Mountains. So wow. our valley is just like surrounded by these beautiful mountain ranges. And then we're 30 minutes from Jackson. 
and a little over an hour from Yellowstone and just the attractions alone. Like if you've never been here before, it yeah. should be on everyone's bucket list. It's an incredible amazing. part of the country. Uh, we, my husband mm-hmm. actually, during our five years of travel, my husband worked at the Grand Tetons National Park. Um, oh. Yeah, he worked at uh, one of the lodges up there. And uh, so we got to live there for a little bit and it was just really magic. So you know. There, yeah, there's actually the best dentist that I've ever been to in my <laughs> whole life is in Jackson Hole. We talk about like, we should just drive up there to go to the dentist because it's so hard to get really? a good dentist. Yeah, she's really You might amazing. have to share. You might have to share with me later. Yeah, I can't <laughs> remember what her name is. I have to look it up, but she, okay. uh, it's a woman and she's in town and she just, she'll straight shoot you. She's really amazing. I love her. And her prices were really good. She would do a deep cleaning for like $80. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's unheard of, right? <laughs> especially in jackson the the x-rays around my whole mouth are nothing she's amazing so but your festival sounds really cool so um what kind of people who will be teaching there what would that would be like what kind of classes will it have so all of it's still in the works for the most part but thursday night there's an option to buy an additional night which gives you a farm to table dinner um with and all all the you know all the food is coming from local farms and we have a wonderful chef who's going to talk about you know, the energy of the food and the healing energy and the connecting with the land. And so we're going to bring that in. So, well, so our vegan? mission, we are men, you'll be vegan or vegetarian. Most likely. Yes. For the farm to table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was she's, really, she's a vegan chef. I was really disappointed that Wanderlust's farm to table was not vegan. Yeah, it didn't even have a vegan option. After- well, we're also <laughs> doing um she's making herbal elixirs so we're gonna do mocktails Uh uh-huh I love she's amazing so there's a farm great experience (laughs) it does there's a farm table dinner in the barn on Thursday night that you can purchase you know extra or there's like the regular festival activities and right now like the scheduling is in the works but it will not be this big party experience everyone is going to be hand selected based on well my intuition <laughs> and also like how we think that they can fit in with our mission so our our tagline is to live in union because yoga like right the yoga so meets union yeah and and so our three categories that everyone has to fit into no matter what is union with our planet union with each other and then union with the source that connects us all so we are only accepting teachers and presenters that can help bring us into a deeper experience of union wow and, i love and, that that's so great this is going to be such a transformational experience like better than this sounds like goal. better than any festival i've ever taught at or gone to or seen <laughs> like that sounds really incredible and in such oh, a deep you should be there place. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah. how can we make that happen? It's September 8th through the 10th. I'm like, how can we make that happen? Charge to my man. Do hitch up right. the trailer. Make I mean, we're trying to get like the the native tribe to do an opening ceremony. Whoa. We've got a shaman on board. Like, oh. and I don't want to give away too much because, you know, it's still a little ways out. So I don't know who's in a hundred percent and what we're doing, but, but it's going to be magical that I know. How can people find out more about it if they want to? tetonyogafestival.com 
Or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. And I just posted our first YouTube video as well of the area. So if you want to kind of, if anyone wants to see how beautiful this area is, um, the video, well, I guess the video is also on our website. So you can see it there, but you'll be blown away. We'll put that link in the description below. So, okay. Sounds yeah. good. Awesome. Well, I um, really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. We've had a very long conversation. I almost feel like I, know. I, should, be, I should break it up into a part one, part two. Um, Maybe. And I might, I might. But um, uh, if you, ha you I'm going to have you leave our listeners with one thing that you really want them to know. What would be that one thing that you want to leave them with? Like a piece of advice or? Yeah, like a piece of advice inspiration experience strength and hope hmm. gosh I know I, I say this a lot so but it's coming up for me so I'll just go ahead and say it now but if you actually I said two things coming <laughs> um, I guess there's there's two things so it's hard to do everything and it gets overwhelming so if you could start with the first thing, like the one thing that you can start with, and I know if we're yoga teachers and yoga practitioners or yoga students listening to this podcast, you probably already know this, but hopefully not everybody is. But the one thing, if you changed your breath, if you change the quality of your breath, you can change the quality of your life. Like when you start breathing consciously, that will help you start living consciously. So just that one step is like life-changing and will lead you to all the other things. And then the next thing that I would say is not some of us can listen to things and be able to just have the discipline to do A, B, and C and get to where they want to be. But most of us need support. Mm -hmm. Most of us need guidance. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it. We can't do it alone. I have, I had a friend once told me, she told me that I admire you most because you don't worry about where you are today. You worry about, I shouldn't say worry. That's not the right word, but you don't fixate or you don't, you're not focused on where you are today. You're focused on where you want to be and you make choices and decisions to be in that next space. Mm -hmm. And I have always for 20 years now sought out support whether it's from a practitioner or some sort of healing modality you know healing practitioner or a coach or a guide or you know like I did the therapy thing for a while and it wasn't for me but it is obviously something that is for people but the somatic healing for me and the guidance and the energy work and the deep healing that was my calling so it doesn't matter what it is for you Find out what feels true in your heart and then get support. That's what I would say. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate you for coming thank on you. To the podcast. I wish you a lot of luck with your Teton Yoga Festival. And um, I will see you on the on the internet, on the social world. The Sounds virtual. good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>